I proclaim to you the word this afternoon as we confess it in Lord's Day 16. Lord's Day 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll read in connection with that also again Article 21 of the Belgic Confession. But first of all, Lord's Day 16, where we confess the following from God's Word. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. And then, Belgian Confession, Article 21. We'll read the first half, the first paragraph of that article, The Satisfaction of Christ, Our High Priest. We believe that Jesus Christ was confirmed by an oath to be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, He presented himself in our place before his father, appeasing God's wrath by his full satisfaction, offering himself on the tree of the cross where he poured out his precious blood to purge away our sins as the prophets had foretold. For it is written, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was numbered with the transgressors and condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, though he had first declared him innocent. He was forced to restore what he did not steal. He died as the righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered in body and soul, feeling the horrible punishment caused by our sins. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Finally, he exclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All this he endured for the forgiveness of our sins. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls who belong to Christ. This afternoon I want to concentrate on the last question and answer of Lord's Day 16. Why is there added he descended into hell? How are we to understand that Jesus, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed then, how are we to understand that he descended into hell? We confess in the creed that Jesus was conceived and born. He suffered. He was crucified. He died and was buried. And then we confess that he descended into hell. 
And the tendency is for us to think then that this is all in sequence and order and that his descent into hell then follows his death and burial. But that cannot be because then Jesus would have suffered most intensely after his death. And after he cried out on the cross, it is finished. If afterwards he then had to descend into hell, it wasn't finished. No, Zacharias Ursinus, one of the original writers of the Heidelberg Catechism, he explained this differently. The words descended into hell in the Apostles' Creed don't follow those other words about his birth and his suffering and so on, his death, in a kind of a chronological order or so. That's not the intention. No, the confession of Jesus' birth, suffering, crucifixion, death, and burial focus more on the physical aspect of his suffering. But the words descended into hell focus more on the other side of his suffering, namely his inner suffering, the suffering of his soul. As we confess Article 21 of the Belgic Confession, Jesus suffered not only in his body, but also in his soul. And then you can think of Gethsemane, where he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And where his blood was pushed out of his, his pores, his sweat pores, because of that inner suffering. And you can think of the cross, when he was on the cross, where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's inner torment, the suffering of his soul. And that's what Lord's Day 16, question and answer 44, describes as the unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony which Jesus endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross. That suffering of soul, that's what hell is about. Endless anguish and terror because of Satan's torments. While Jesus descended into hell, into that kind of torment, God forsaken us, we could say. Not the place, hell, because there is such a place. But what hell consists of, everything that hell consists of, the anguish and torment of hell, that is what he suffered in his soul. And he wasn't thrown into that. He descended into it willingly, that means. Descended into hell means that he went there willingly. And nobody would ever want to descend into torment and temptation like that. But Jesus descended into everything hell consists of to the very deepest anguish and terror that's there. Willing to suffer in soul like that for his own, for us. And that shows his love. So great. So deep, congregation. So incomprehensible. And I proclaim to you the gospel as we confess that in Lord's Day 16, and in particular then question and answer 44 with this theme, Jesus descended into hell for us. And we pay attention to two things. First of all, 
the temptations there, and secondly, our comfort in that. Our temptations, first of all. So why did Jesus descend into hell? The Catechism says, so that in my greatest sorrows and temptations I may be assured and comforted. Assured and comforted. So it has to do with comfort in temptations. In sorrows and temptation. But what kind of sorrows and temptations is the catechism talking about here then? Well, those temptations have to do with things looking different than what was stated or promised by God. Different than stated or promised. We, we even sang about that in, in Psalm 22, where David says the same. For example, someone promises to take you from Owen Sound to Mount Forest. So you step in the car, but instead, of, you notice that instead of going south to, uh, on high, Highway 6, that person goes north on Highway 6. Doesn't look like they're going to take you in the direction they promised to take you at all. The thing is, you don't know everything. That person first had to pick up a car part in Spring Mount at one of the car dealers there. You only know they seem to be going in the opposite direction. They don't seem to be going where they said they would. And then you, you wonder, we're going in the wrong direction? No. See, and that's what can happen spiritually, congregation. And that's what can cause uh, torment and temptation of soul to us. God has promised to adopt you in Christ and forgive all your sins through him and to renew you with his spirit. But you don't always see that, experience that. You don't always experience that being righteous in Christ and, and being at peace in him, do you? For instance, you see your sins more and more. And then you, the more you know about God's holiness, the more sinful you realize that you actually are. And even though you have the promise of the Holy Spirit, you experience that sin has such a grip on you sometimes, don't you? And then you manage to overcome one sin in your life and leave it behind, finally. And then you realize, oh, there's another one to deal with. And another one. And that brings you into that torment or temptation Lord's Day 16 is talking about it doesn't seem that you're righteous in Christ at all and that you are actually being renewed by his spirit as he promised you and then you start to wonder is it really for you or is it true is it true you're plagued by doubts then like David, Psalm 22, could cry out, why have you forsaken me, Lord? And you can think of more examples. Another one, for instance, God promises his love and favor in Christ to you. Promises to let his face shine on you. But you don't feel, at a certain time, you don't feel that his face is shining on you at all. You don't feel the joy of belonging to, to him. Your prayers seem to get lost in the air somewhere. In fact, maybe you feel God is even against you, punishing you. Punishing you maybe for past sins that you still have on your conscience. And then you wonder, is it all really true? 
Does God really love me? Is he really favorable toward me in Christ as he promised at my baptism, as he says in his word? Or is it not true at all? Those kind of temptations. Another example. God promised in Christ that he would take care of you and give you his fatherly care and goodness, but your life is in turmoil, upset. You experience all kinds of difficulties, serious troubles. Maybe, maybe health-wise, you end up with serious sickness, even disability. Or that can be psychological. You end up with mental health issues. It can be social. You have difficulties with relationships, difficulties in family or marriage relationships or so. And you figure nobody understands you and you feel alone. You feel forsaken. It doesn't seem as if God is really caring for you at all then as he promised. Rather, it seems he's left you on your own in all your troubles. And you wonder if God is really there for you as he promised he would be. If he's really taking care of you. Or you wonder whether you're really his child at all. See, those are the kind of temptations answer 44 has in mind. When things don't seem to us as promised or stated to us by God in his word. But that's what faith is about. That's what faith is about. It's not seeing, not feeling, still believing. And you realize then that if faith is like that, then it's always a struggle. Faith is always going to be a struggle. You feel nothing and you struggle to believe that you share in God's love and favor in Christ or your life is in turmoil and you struggle to hold on to that faith in, in all the ups and downs that you're going through now, your troubles. Is God still working for your good? Hey, then things don't seem to be what they are. If I was really God's child, if I was really right with him in Christ, wouldn't things go a lot better in my life than they're going right now? Well, that struggle is something that the Bible talks about quite a bit, actually. Think of Abraham. God had promised him descendants and salvation. All the nations will be blessed in you and in your descendants. And then what does God do? He orders Abraham to go out and offer up his son Isaac on an altar. And then you can imagine the turmoil in Abram's soul and the temptation. Well, God, this is not going to work. This is not right. It doesn't look as if your promise is ever going to come true this way. It can't be true. Or think of Joseph. Joseph, in his dreams, God had promised him kingship. He would rule over his brothers, even his parents. He had those dreams. And then he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And it didn't look like God's promise had any hope of ever coming true for him. And then you can imagine, you know, in that pit or in slavery in Egypt, how he wrestled in himself. He was tormented. Can can God's promise to me really be true? Or think of Asaph, Psalm 73, suffering while the wicked were having a good time of it. You know, they had it easy. And he had a hard time. 
And he was doing his best to serve the Lord. And then he wondered, what's the use of being faithful to God? And he was tormented in his soul. And I can mention again, David, Psalm 22. You see, all God's children have those kind of torments and temptations of soul. And that's because what you experience or feel seems completely different from what God has promised or from what he has stated in his word. It doesn't seem to match up. You're told you're on the way to heaven, but it seems to you like, more like you're on the way to hell. And that can cause a lot of torment. Can cause sorrow when you doubt God's love and power and faithfulness. Lord, I want to believe in you, but it, it, you're making it pretty hard for me. You sing about it with the Psalms, but you don't feel it. And then you wonder. And you see, Satan uses that contrast between what you experience out here and what God has promised you as an opportunity to attack your faith. And that's the temptations that we're talking about in Lord's Day 16. And the greater the contrast, the more intense the temptation. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, our comfort. It says there in Lord's Day 16, why is there added he descended into hell? And it says there so plainly, in my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted. Notice it doesn't say after my greatest sorrows and temptations. No, in my greatest sorrows and temptations, right in the middle of it. I may be assured and comforted. We often think and hope that, right? After, I don't have any assurance now. I don't feel it now, but I hope things will settle down and maybe I'll be comforted afterward. But it doesn't say that. In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted in the middle of it all. And you see, when promise and experience seem to conflict The devil is hard at work with his temptations to take away our faith and trust in God. You could say that the Christian life is like a ship sailing toward a promised eternal harbor. That ship has very valuable cargo on board, namely, trust in God, faith in God. And the devil wants you to throw that trust overboard. He wants you to get get you to do that. So he brings storms and tries to sink the ship, make it go aground or so, so that the cargo ends up in the ocean, so that we throw our faith overboard and we bring shipwreck to our lives, our faith life. But what does a a ship in storm and difficulty need to do? Needs to throw out an anchor. And that anchor of the soul is, as it says in Hebrews 6, Jesus Christ, who has gone before us, who endured everything for us, also torment of soul. He is the anchor of our soul. His overcoming of all temptation and torment of soul. 
if I throw that anchor of my soul to Christ every time, I'll find assurance and comfort in spite of my sins, in spite of how I feel, in spite of what's happening in my life, in spite of all those things. Comfort and assurance. Then the ship of my life will find its stability in the midst of storm. It'll hold fast to the anchor of the suffering of Jesus' soul. In particular, then, then his descent into hell. And that's because then I know again that God's wrath against all my sins has been fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. His full anger against every single one of my sins was completely spent on Jesus Christ. There is not a speck of God's anger against and punishment of, our, of my sins left. You can't go any deeper than hell. Jesus totally emptied the cup of God's wrath for me. Physical punishment and punishment of soul. So no matter what happens in my life or in my heart, it's not because of God's wrath, because there's still some sin in me that's not covered by this suffering of Jesus. No, in fact, it's impossible that there's any wrath of God left for those who are in Christ. You know, you, you think about that. If I Imagine I owed somebody $100, but then my brother came and paid the bill for me. $100. If then the person who I owed the money to in the first place comes to me afterwards and says, well, you need to pay up yet, then I say, nope. My brother paid for me. Gave you the $100. But what if that person then says, well, yeah, he paid, but what he paid only counts for part of it. I need to get something from you yet. Well, then you're going to be downright upset, right? Then it's as if my brother and what he paid for didn't count for full. Well, if something of God's wrath against my sins was still left, then it's as if God said, what my son did for you doesn't count for the full amount. Sorry. And would God ever say that in regards to what his son did for us? After Jesus' suffering here, would there still be something, anything, anywhere left for us to pay for our sins yet? Could there be? No. No, not at all. For if Jesus Christ descended into the very depths of hell for me, not only physical, but also suffering of soul, to the very depths of God forsakenness for me, if he suffered everything there is to suffering in hell, then there can't be any wrath of God for me to receive yet. Could there? Could there be? Of course not. So, if God lets me feel my sinfulness, if I don't feel any joy in, anymore, if my life seems to be descending into darkness, if everything I experience seems to be pointing in the other direction, then it can't be God's wrath. Can't be. Then it's something else then it's discipline or 
chastisement or training or education, but it's not God's wrath. It might seem to be that. It might seem as if you're on the way to hell and descending into it, but it, it's like that. With, it's like with that friend who, who promised to take you to Mount Forest, but first makes a detour to Spring Mount to do something else. You'll end up in Mount Forest. God takes you on a detour on the way to heaven. So in your greatest sorrows and temptations, congregation, you can throw your anchor out to Christ and his work for you. Because of his descent into hell, there can't be a single spark of God's wrath left any more for you. Even if it doesn't feel that way. And even if I feel only deserving of God's wrath in myself because of what I've done, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has delivered me completely from the anguish and torment of hell. I may be assured and comforted by that. That's what you confess here. You have to focus on Christ, you see? He's your anchor on on what he has done for you. That's how you keep your trust on board that ship of your life. Don't measure God's favor by what you experience or feel in your life. No, God's favor can be measured, favor towards you can be measured only in Christ who fully bore his wrath against your sins to the very end. Now you might think, yeah, well, that's all well and nice, but notice that answer 44 speaks of my Lord Jesus Christ. My Lord Jesus Christ. And that's maybe a concern, right? How do I know that he's my Lord Jesus Christ? He's my Savior, and I belong to him and he to me. Well, Jesus Christ is offered to you and given via the word and sacraments. Word and sacrament. They show so clearly, so plainly, that he is my savior from sin and he has borne all my iniquities and suffered and died for me and descended into hell for me. How how clear can that be? He can't make it any clearer than that, can he? And then I need to simply take his word for it, for what he says in word and sacrament. He doesn't lie. You have to hold on to his word of promise in all your temptations, in the middle of it. Believe those promises, even if you don't feel they're real or they're for you. Think of that Canaanite woman who went to Jesus You know, he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. She asked for Jesus' help for her daughter. He turns her down. He says, I was sent for the lost sheep of Israel and not for the Gentiles. He says, it's not good to take the children's bread, throw it to the dogs. Imagine how that woman must have felt. Right? 
She, she must have been shaken by Jesus' refusal to help her at first. But she didn't turn away. She didn't let her feelings master her, overpower her faith. No. She says to Jesus, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table that fall. She reasoned, Jesus' work is also available to her. And she calls him on it. And he called her faith great. And he healed her daughter. And you see, the thing is, your feelings and circumstances and everything else might be telling you that Jesus isn't for you. You might be thinking, well, he's turned away from me. And he could do that for a time. And that's temptation then. But you simply have to hold on to him in faith. Keep going to him in faith. Hold out your hands to him. You promised. I trust you. And you know, if you do that, if you simply hold on to Jesus and what's promised in him, your feelings will come along eventually too. You'll be comforted and assured. You could say your feelings will catch up with your faith. And then you'll become assured again that God is with you in Christ. Even if it doesn't seem that way to you, your reason or your feelings at the time. Then you will receive the assurance of faith even in the middle of your temptation. It'll come back to you. And brothers and sisters, you might wonder yet why God lets us be tormented by temptations and sorrows like that yet. You know, that we have to overcome all those doubts and questions time and again in life. Experience doesn't seem to match faith. Why does God let the devil tempt us to give up on him and his promises in Christ every time again? Why does God sometimes take us in the opposite direction seemingly than he promises to take us? So that we do struggle with those torments of soul. It has to do with God training us to maturity in Christ. If he didn't do that, what would we do? We would lose our faith. For example, prayer is the expression of faith, right? And you know how it can go with the ship of your life. The sea can be still and calm. No waves. Your life is going nice and smooth and you feel at peace with everything All the pieces are falling into place. And what happens on a ship like that is that the the captain becomes drowsy and lethargic. And we could say, faith-wise, you become lazy. Your prayers become shallow and routine. Your reliance on the Lord and your thankfulness toward him fades until you end up in storm again with trouble and temptation. Storms beset the ship of your life again and you don't see or feel anymore what God promised you in Christ. All you feel is is punishment and forsakenness and you wonder if God loves you, you wonder if he cares about you, you wonder if he's really there and then you begin to pray again with passion. 
And then you throw out your anchor in Christ again. And then you take his word of promise in your hands again. And you hold it fast. And the drowsiness is over. And you're awake in faith again. And you realize we need that on an ongoing basis. God tests and refines and trains our faith through those sorrows and temptations when things seem different than what we believe. Otherwise, we become drowsy and lethargic and lose our faith. Martin Luther said it beautifully one time. He said, the biggest temptation in life is if you don't have any temptations to struggle with. Because then it appears if God isn't involved with you anymore, isn't training you anymore. Congregation, this is how God deals with his children. Have you you experienced that? Can you identify with this? If not, then you have to ask yourself, what kind of faith do I really have? then your life is like, might be like a ship that is never assaulted by waves. A ship which Satan is not even interested in because there's no valuable cargo on board. There's nothing in it for him to take anyway, a ship without any faith. If the devil doesn't think the ship of your life is worth shaking up and if God doesn't train you through that, then the ship of your life could be empty then it's a ship that's not really moving toward any harbor at all. No, brothers and sisters, if your life is a ship that regularly has to pass through storms which cause you torment and which test and train your faith, then you'll know about that assurance and comfort mentioned in Lord's Day 16 too. And then you'll know Christ who descended into hell for you, who was tempted in his deepest soul so that you might know that God will never, ever, ever forsake you. He went through it all for you. And that faith will power the ship of your life ever closer to that harbor where there will never, ever, be any temptations anymore for you because that's where faith becomes sight amen